Welcome to the Sunday Evening Podcast from Kingdom Faith Church in Burgess Hill. This message is by Clive Urquhart. Just going to, my, my voice has been a bit dodgy, the, I haven't had one the last two days, it's only kind of come back today, so I'm not going to be overly preachy, if that's alright. Um, so I'm just going to share a little bit. But before we uh, get into the message, I just want to share something really uh, short uh, to do with Brexit. Some of you, if you've been in Horsham last week, would have heard this. Um, uh, so if you want to turn to John 11, just really quickly, five minutes, just want to um, kind of just share something which might help us in terms of just prayer. Um, you know, when uh, I think we're all kind of up to here, aren't we, with sort of Brexit on one level, what's happening, what isn't happening, who thinks they know what they're doing and who doesn't. Um, but whenever things are going on, we always want to pray and ask God what he's doing, where he is in what's happening and how does he see things and how do we need to, to pray. So I just want to share this for a minute or two. When um, the decision was made to delay um, the decision till the end of October, I, I, I kind of said to the Lord that night, God, what, what's actually going on here? What's happening? And didn't necessarily get an answer that night. But when I got up in the morning... Um, and uh, just got my cup of tea and went to have some time praying and spending time with the Lord. With the, the daily reading plan that we have, that we do each month, I normally read the, the, the short, short scripture that we have for the day, like one or two verses or whatever it is, and, uh, and, and then the Old Testament one. And then later on in the day, I normally read the New Testament bit and uh, chapter and just pray through that and have a read and stuff as I uh, as I sat down to just open up the Bible just felt the Lord say read the New Testament chapter now so I was like okay and it was John 11 that day and and the story in John 11 when you start to read it is the story of Lazarus and uh, I, I as I started to read within the first couple of verses as I was just reading um, I just believe the Lord said to me this story is Brexit and I, I kind of said, what? What do you mean? It's Brexit. And uh, he said, just read it. He said, this, this is like Brexit. And uh, so I just want to pick out a couple of bits. Now, obviously, what I'm saying here is I'm not talking from a political point of view here. Okay, This isn't a, a political message for everybody. Um, this is just what happened when I asked the Lord that question, got up the next morning, and, and this seemed to be his kind of response. And uh, so... Just to pick out a couple of bits, obviously it says in the first verse, there was a man named Lazarus who was sick. And uh, when I read, started to reread it after the Lord said, look, this story's Brexit. It's like our, our nation is not healthy at the moment. And God wants us to be healthy as a nation. And uh, so it's like there was a nation called the UK and it was sick or it wasn't healthy. Uh, but there were some people there, Mary and Martha, who sent word to Jesus to say, would you come and heal him? Now, as Christians, many Christians all over the nation, we've been praying for our nation. And I'm sure within a lot, you know, some of what's prayed, it's easy to pray what we would like or what we want uh, sometimes. And in these kind of situations, we always want to kind of hear from the Lord. Okay, God, how do we pray in a situation like this? 
so that we're not just praying, one Christian's praying for one thing, another Christian's praying for something completely opposite and all of that, as if we're trying to get God to do what we might want to happen. And um, we, we want to kind of have some wisdom, if you like. And so uh, Mary and Martha went, sent, sent word to him so that he can come and heal him. And, and many Christians, we've all been praying for God to bring his will to bear or into being or whatever we've been praying. When Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness will not end in death. Now, there's been a lot of negativity spoken over our nation in different ways. And it's like God saying, look, you know, uh, th- this, is, this is not the end. This is not going to be a catastrophe. Whatever the outcome, it's not going to be an absolute mess. You know, God's got his hand on our nation. He loves our nation and he wants the best for our nation. He also wants the best for other nations as well. So this isn't a pro-UK kind of thing here. But it says, uh, he says, this sickness won't end in death. No, it is for God's glory. So somehow God's going to bring glory to him and, and, and something good out of all this. Um, but when Jesus got the message, would you come and heal him or pray for him or whatever, he didn't go straight away. Now, that's probably not the most pastoral thing to do. Uh, I think if you and I were in a situation and we, we called the church office or whatever and said, hey, just wanted the, somebody, you know, the pastor or somebody in leadership to know my family member's dying, could you come and pray? I think if you'd got a response of, well, we're coming a few days when it, when, you know, that's maybe not pastorally the nicest thing in the world to do, but that's what happened here. Because Jesus, somehow, he knew there's a bigger picture to this than, than just immediately responding to what the people in that situation thought was the best thing, the right thing, or the most important thing at that moment. When um, uh, Jesus does turn up, if we skip out some other bits, so he arrives, and when he arrives, they say, basically, you're too late. He's already dead. He's been dead four days. Uh, and they were kind of like, if you'd been here, if you'd just been here, it would have been different. And there's an element in which... Um, since that decision was made to delay it, there's been, again, lots of other things said and things like, you know, well, this is going to get even worse or... Um, and, and we know some people don't want Brexit and uh, want the UK to remain. We know others want to leave and, and whatever leave looks like, there's different opinions and all of that kind of stuff. And <clears throat> they said, if you'd been here, it's not that Jesus didn't know about the situation and wasn't going to respond or do anything in it. There was a timing in it. And God, even though there's a delay, I, I believe that's, that's going to be for the good of, of our nation in some way or other. Then um, it, it, when you read the story, the communication that happens and everything, that there's some things said about how much Jesus loved that family and everything and how much he loves our, our nation. He loves every nation, doesn't he? Jesus died once and he died for all. So it's not that he favours our nation over another one. It's not that if the UK coming out of the EU is because the EU, you know, all the nations in it are this, that and the other. We're no better than Italy, Germany, France or any other nation in there. But every nation has God's call and purposes on it. And for and, and whatever reason, God wants the UK to be in a place where we can push, be where God wants us to be to do whatever he wants to do in and through this nation. So 
the next thing, Jesus stands in front of the tomb when we read through the story. And the first thing he says is, roll the stone away. And on one level, it's like with the delay, just all, all the potential... Um, possibilities of this or that or the other it's like they're all going to be rolled away it's like Jesus saying just get everything out the way um, so that I can actually or what needs to happen in the situation can take place and so the stone was rolled away and then he says Lazarus come out and Lazarus comes out he, he obviously comes back from the dead in this situation and he comes out but when he comes out he still has grave clothes around him and then Jesus says, um, take off the grave clothes and let him go. And in some translations say, let him go free. Uh, and so when I was reading through this a few weeks back, and um, t- you know, obviously it's pretty obvious on one level what the conclusion seems to be. And, uh, and not, not necessarily from a what... I'm not going to say what I thought or think should happen or, or what I've been praying, but in, but in relation to like before this, but up until, you know, with this, it's like God wants our nation, by the sound of it from here, to come out of the EU and actually be free without any connections whatsoever to what what Lazarus was in or what our nation's been in. Now, I know there's a lot of negativity about a no deal, um, but then at the same time, there's others saying that's the best thing and all of that. And we've probably all got our own views on, on that one uh, as well. But I just wanted to share that. And, and um, over the last couple of weeks, two or three weeks, Jane and I, my wife and I, have been in various situations, prayer contexts. Um, two of them were in... Uh, Israel in Jerusalem, one in quite a big kind of event with hundreds of people and another one was in um, more of a prayer call kind of weekend where it was praying for the nations and in 72 hours went round just about every nation and continent in relation to Israel, God's purposes and everything else. And um, and when we've been asked to share some of this stuff or can you guys say, share something about Brexit or what's going on, when I've shared that, the amount of people afterwards that are from different nations around the world, not just from this nation, who have come up and said, God's given us such a burden to pray for the UK over the last few months. And, um, and we've heard lots of different people's opinions about what should or shouldn't happen. And, and several different people who are head up prayer networks and various things in different nations said to uh, Jane and I, um, it's funny, when we've been praying and we say, God, how do we pray? God's led us to pray that the UK would fully come out 100% um, with, with obviously what you technically call a no deal uh, and, and fully come out in, in that way and that God wants the UK to be completely, you know, a nation. And then obviously whatever relationship it, it chooses to have with the EU, then they whatever that's going to look like. Um, so I, ju- I just wanted to share that and not from a... Um, I think this is happening, I'm letting you know what I think should happen. I'm just in the context of just praying and, and asking God, what, what is going on here? And getting that answer, which seems to be quite kind of clear in that situation uh, for what he wants to do in our nation. And, and obviously we've got a, a situation with who's going to be the next leader of the Conservative Party and therefore the next Prime Minister. And obviously it's down to two possibilities uh, again, it, it, it's easy to look at who we might like 
um, I don't know, I'm, I, you know, but at the end of the day, it's like, well, Father, you allow people to be in power and you allow, you raise them up and you remove them, you put them in and you move people about. And, um, and, and sometimes we have people leading nations that we think, well, how, you know, how does that happen? And other times we have people leading nations, we think, yeah, they're exactly the right person. But within God's economy, he raises up people to do things in certain nations. Sometimes they know God and other times they don't. And uh, from things that we've heard recently being at various events, people in different nations who work within parliaments, within governments and with presidents in different nations, um, some of the stories you've heard are amazing in, ter- in some of the people that God has, or, or, or people that are now leading a nation, either a prime minister or a president, um, some are believers, some aren't, but the decisions they're making uh, we would call godly decisions or lining up with God's purposes. And some of that is in connection with Israel, Jerusalem, people moving that wanted to move their embassies to Jerusalem. And just without, having to, without going into it, what that means biblically in terms of nations aligning with God and his plans and purposes. And, and uh, so I just wanted to lob that out there, if that's all right. And, and maybe that helps in terms of prayer, just praying at the moment. Not, not necessarily... Then sort of saying, right, you know, I've got this thing with the nation. But actually just saying, Father, thank you that you, you, your heart is for our nation. Thank you. You want us to be free in the way that you want us to be so that we can be who you've called us to be. You can do what you want to do. And whatever that's going to then look like um, going forward. Okay, was that all right? So uh, if we just want to move on and get into the actual message then uh, tonight... So, as you know, we've been uh, looking at a subject uh, with the title of over June called Just Do It, which is about sharing our faith. And uh, we've kind of said, just pray it, just say it, just live it, just be it, in terms of just let the life that we have as Christians uh, kind of just flow into other people's lives in, in the everyday context that we are in, work and neighbours, friends, family, whoever it might be. And we've been using a scripture from Colossians 4, uh, that is the kind of uh, overview scripture for this month. So I just want to read that and then um, then I'm going to just kind of share for a few minutes. Uh, fairly short message, but just share and then we can pray uh, to in response to that. So Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 to 6. Uh, Paul the Apostle was writing here. He's in prison when he writes this. And... Uh, what the amazing thing, I think, when when you read some of what the Apostle Paul wrote was he writes this in prison but the amazing look at the second verse we're going to read in a moment he he, well let's read the first verse he's giving some instructions to the guys in Colossae it's in the context where they've had some false teaching coming into the church and through the book of Colossians what he's doing is basically refocusing the church back onto Jesus and reminding them who they are in Christ and who Christ is in them he's reminding them what they've been saved out of and what they now have as believers. So he's refocusing them, refocusing them on the truth. And in that context, he's giving them some instructions at the end. And he says, devote yourselves to prayer. Uh, What is prayer? Prayer really means we put our trust in God. When we don't pray, we're basically saying, God, I can handle it. But when we pray, we're saying, God, I need you. I'm dependent on you. 
And he's saying, devote yourself to prayer. Trust in God. Be dependent on God. Be watchful. He says, obviously, watchful because there's some false teaching that's been coming in. And he's saying, be watchful. Keep an eye on, on what you're hearing. Keep an eye on what you've been teaching, what you've been hearing. Keep an eye. Be watchful uh, so that you stay in the truth. But also be thankful for what you have. And when you're thankful, you're reminding yourself of why you're thankful for something. And so often, you know, when we pray, we, we often pray saying, Father, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for what you've done. I thank you that you are, because you're reminding yourself, I'm praying in, in the truth of who God is, so I don't begin to pray things that are not the truth because it sounds like a good idea. So there's a bit of wisdom from Paul there, but then look what he, he says in verse three. Then he says, pray for us, pray for me too, that God may open a door for our message. The guy's in prison, but he's still passionate about wanting to share the gospel, people hearing about Jesus, so that, may, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Then he says, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Uh, so he's writing from prison, but he's obviously expecting to come out as well. Verse 5, then some other instructions. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So verse 5, be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders and make the most of every opportunity. So we're going to focus a bit around that, that verse. You've heard a great message from uh, Kevin last week about sharing the gospel and, and, and your faith and everything. And what I believe God wants to do this week as a follow-on is when it says be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, we're going to look at Luke 15 and just pull a couple of things out of the story of um, uh, a situation where Jesus is sitting with, as it says, tax collectors and sinners. The religious people, they don't like it. They start complaining. And then he tells a parable, gives them a parable, a story. So we're going to look at Luke 15 for a few minutes and pull a few things out of there. So the Apostle Paul says, be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders or people that don't believe that don't believe and live in the same way that you do. Make the most of every opportunity. You, you probably, most of you guys, if not all of us, will know um, sometimes the reputations that Christians have is not necessarily the best one. Uh, how we sometimes have gone about communicating who Jesus is uh, or what it means to be a Christian. And sometimes that has come across to many people in quite a judgmental way. Or it's come across like in, in sometimes in a self-righteous way, you know, we're right, you're wrong. Or sometimes the way we communicate or have gone about it as Christians uh, sounds like a little bit like we're on a, a um, uh, what do you call the thing? Soapbox, yeah. When you stand on a soapbox and you're kind of saying your thing you want everybody to hear. And maybe we've not gone about it. You know, maybe what we've said has been good. Maybe what we've said has been right. But maybe how we've said it and how we've done it makes it very, very difficult for people to receive because of how we've gone about sharing the gospel. So let's have a look at this practically and, and uh, give it some context. So Luke 15, verse 1. There was a group of tax collectors and sinners. And I love this. This is from the Truth Translation. 
uh, it says they came close to Jesus to listen to him. Interesting. They came close. So they chose to come close to Jesus. Um, why did they want to come close to him? I don't know. Here's a few thoughts. Maybe some wanted to be close to him, near him, because they were intrigued by him. They was like, we've heard about this guy. We want to find out more. I'm intrigued. Why do they want to come close? Maybe there was intrigue. Maybe there was, this guy's a bit unusual. This guy's a bit different than the other religious leaders. With the other religious leaders, people didn't want to be around them because they felt condemned and judged and you're not meeting the mark, you're not acting in the right way, you're not doing all the right things. It was all performance orientated and people were like it was a heavy burden that was on the people then. Maybe some came close, they were intrigued about this Jesus. He, he's, they knew he was a rabbi. He dressed like a rabbi. He must have known because we hear in the story, you know the, the woman that had been sick for 12 years and uh, they, she'd spent all her money. She was getting worse. She pressed through the crowd and it says she touched the hem of his garment. Well, the hem of his garment would have had tassels around them and rabbis on the hem of their garments had tassels and, and different tassels represented different scriptures and one of them was, some of them were to do with healing. And so she knew if I can touch the hem of his garment, he goes around healing people. He's a healer. And if I can just touch him, I'm going to be healed. And so the people knew this, this rabbi, he's different than the other rabbis. There's something about this guy. They were intrigued. Maybe some liked him. I like this guy. I like the way he talks. This guy, he's different. I like to be, I want to be, I like to be around him. He's, he, he, some might have said, he actually makes me feel good. He lifts me. He's like, wow, God, God is maybe, maybe God is reachable then. I like this guy. Maybe some just like the way he was. He was a nice guy. He seems like a nice bloke. I want to be around him. Maybe others felt safe around him, accepted around him. We hear quite a number of times, it says tax collectors and sinners came close. And some of those people we know about are prostitutes that wanted to be around Jesus. Now, if you think about a prostitute, 99.9% .9 of the time, they're used and abused by people. But yet, we hear through the Gospels when we read about Jesus that those, those people, they wanted to be near him. They wanted to be around him. Why? Maybe Jesus was one of the only blokes that didn't look them up and down for what he could get out of them and from them. Maybe there was something that when Jesus looked at them, they didn't feel like this guy wants to use me and abuse me. Maybe there was something about this guy that was like, when, when he looks at me, I feel I, 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 don't, I don't pick up what everybody else the way, because some people look, would have looked at them a piece of dirt. You know, you're a prostitute, you're a scum, you're this, that or the other. And, and, and Jesus looked at, when they looked at them, they were like, man, I feel valued. I feel like this guy loves me. Not desires me, but genuinely I feel this acceptance. I feel I want to be around. I feel safe around this guy. I feel maybe, maybe for some it was they feel safe around him because of how he was towards them. Maybe others literally just, I just want to be connected with this guy. He's brilliant to be around for whatever reason. They wanted to be near him because he's going to do a miracle. And sinners came close to him. I don't know about you, but in my life, I, 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 I don't want people to run because I'm a Christian. You know, we, we want to, the way we are with people, we want them to be close. Now, I love what it, look at this next verse, because this connects so well. 
But then verse 2, but both the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law murmured against him. And uh, this is what they said about him. This man receives sinners and even eats with them. Now, it's interesting how the religious people describe Jesus. The word receive there actually means, the word used there to describe how the, the religious people were talking, the word receive there means to show hospitality, to sit with somebody and embrace them as if they're your friends. That's brilliant. Don't you love that? And so the rabbis, they looked at Jesus and they were like, rabbis do not sit down with tax collectors and sinners because they'll make us unclean. We don't sit with them. And, and they were upset because what they said is, what they said is what they observed. They didn't decide to describe Jesus in a certain way because they thought, how, do, how would we describe this guy? Let's think about it. They described him because of what they saw. And what they saw was, this guy shows hospitality. This guy sits down with them and he embraces them and talks to them and spends time with them as if he's their friends. This is blowing our minds. Don't you love that? You see, religion separates you from God. Performance, kind of putting a performance kind of heaviness on people, it, it separates people from God. In the sense that, and so these guys were just putting laws and, and this and that and the other on the people. They were pointing the finger. They were self-righteous. They were judgmental. And there was something different about Jesus. This guy doesn't just tell us a load of stuff. He comes and sits with us and treats us like we're his mates. Don't you love that? Jesus, who is holy, righteous, said, I'm going to sit with you, show you hospitality and embrace you. So then he carries on. Uh, verse 4. He then tells this, this parable because he knows what's going on with the religious people. They're murmuring, they're upset, they're moaning, complaining. So Jesus says, okay, guys, just have a listen to this for a minute then. He says, if anyone owned a hundred sheep but lost one of them, would he not leave the 99 to look after themselves while he, went, while he goes searching for the lost one until he finds it? Then when he finds it, he's going to return it, carrying it on his shoulders, full of joy. And when he, arrived home, he would, when he arrives home, he's going to gather his friends and relatives saying, hey, rejoice with me. I found the sheep that I had lost. Then Jesus says this, I tell you clearly, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner that repents than over 99 who do not need to repent. There's two, two key words in here. One is owned and the other one is lost. And <clears throat> you know, if you own something, you've, it's normally because you've paid something for it and you paid a price for it. And, and when you've paid for something, it actually belongs to you. So if somebody then takes that away, they've stolen it. Somebody can actually get arrested because they've stolen something from you because you have purchased it, you've bought it, you've paid something. 
When you own something, something has value. Now we know as a Christian, stuff doesn't add value to our lives. Our value is in who we are. But we know if we've paid for something, there's a value to, on, on whatever you've paid for this thing. And on one level, if you then lost it or it got destroyed or stolen, on one level, you've now suddenly lost something because you paid for it. It was yours. Now there's a difference between owning something and borrowing when you borrow something, like you might go to your neighbour or a friend and say, hey, I need to you know, do some hedge trimming in my house. Can I, can I borrow your hedge trimmer or, your, or your whatever else you use, what, your hedge trimmer, and, uh, or your lawnmower or whatever it is. Uh, and, and you go around your friend's house, you pick it up, you come back, you do your grass, your hedge or whatever, and then you take it back. Because you borrowed it, you want to make sure you return it in the same way as you borrowed it, so there's no damage, it's not broken or scratched or dented or anything. You want to make sure you've returned it. But because you borrowed it, you knew it was never yours. And because it was never yours, when you had it, it didn't add, there was no value to it on one level. You knew you had to look after it because the value it belongs to somebody else. But when you give it back, it's not like suddenly you've lost something because it was never yours. Are you with me? So you borrowed it, you used it, but then you gave it back. So there's a difference between owning and borrowing. Then, and we'll come, we'll come on to, we'll add these two things together. Then he says, somebody who owned a hundred sheep, because they've got value, because they mean something to you, but lost one of them, you're going to leave the 99 because they can look after themselves for a minute and I'm going to go and find the thing that I've lost, that I own, that I've lost. Now, the word used for lost there actually means when Jesus said the word lost, the word that he used there means as if it was dead. So he's saying here, any of you have owned a hundred sheep, but then you lost one as if it was dead. Now, if we just focus on, on what God has done for us for a minute, what God has done for mankind, when he created man, he created us to have relationship with him. And obviously, Adam and Eve, mankind sinned, and there was separation between God and man. That's obviously not God's intention and heart. And so therefore, God wanted to put a plan of salvation in place to restore man back to God. Now, we know ultimately that is fulfilled in the cross and Jesus going to the cross. And why did God send Jesus to the cross? Why was the cross necessary? Because... We, God created us to know him, to belong to him. But there was separation. In order to bring us back to him, he had to pay a price to reconnect us with him, to buy us back, to purchase us. And when Jesus died on the cross, he died once and he died for all. So he purchased every person's life on the cross. But we know that not everybody is in relationship with God. So as far as God's concerned, he has some people back in his possession in terms of relationship. But there are many that still aren't. And so in the same way, and this is, the, this is what Jesus is talking about here. This is what he's saying to these guys. Hey, there are many that, that might know God, but the ones that are lost, ones that are as if they're dead, 
They're the ones we're going to come looking for. They're the ones we're going to reach because when, when God has lost something that he's paid a price for, he wants it back. And in, in one sense, it's like God carries in his heart. When we say a sense of loss, I mean, we know that God doesn't need anything, that he, he needs something to be fulfilled. But what it carries in him is a sense of those that are lost, he carries that lostness in his heart. And he's so passionate about getting them back that Jesus went to the cross. And in terms of this scripture we read earlier uh, from Colossians, be wise in how you act towards outsiders and make the most of every opportunity. We've been talking about how to share the, our faith and the gospel and everything, but also we want to do it with God's heart. And one of the things I believe God wants to do in us is, is in, if you can hear how I try and explain it, he wants to give us a burden for those friends and family, whoever they are that don't know Jesus that we're reaching out to. Now, when God gives a burden, it's not heavy and like, oh, my word, and we're under something. When God gives a burden, his yoke is light and his burden is easy. Or his burden is light and his yoke is easy. Because he carries that burden with us. A few weeks ago, when uh, just uh, an example of this, um, Jane and I, we were in uh, Israel for a couple of things we were at and involved in. And uh, whenever we're in Jerusalem, we always want to go down to the Western Wall, the Wailing Wall, where all the Jewish people pray. And we really go down there to pray for them. And when you get down there, if you haven't been there, the, go- the ladies have to go off to the right and the guys go to the left. And you've got the wall kind of in front of you. And there's an area where you have to go down and in there. And uh, be- the weekend we was there was the Pentecost weekend, a couple of weekends ago. And when they have a Pentecost weekend, or when Pentecost weekend is, they always have what they call a double Shabbat. So Shabbat there is normally Friday night to Saturday night. But they- it also went on to Sunday night because it was a Pentecost weekend double Shabbat. So we were down there about 10 o'clock on the Sunday night. It was the only opportunity we really had to, to be there. And so Jane went one side and I, I went the other, with the bloke side. And uh, when I went, I went down into the middle, it was packed, loads of guys praying, lots of Orthodox, all their hats and the ringlets and all their stuff they wear. And, and you couldn't get anywhere near the wall. Uh, they're all praying and, and, and rocking and doing all the various things that they, they do. And um, as I was standing there, I just began to... Uh, just thank the Lord, first of all, for his lordship and, and, and just praising him for a few moments, obviously quietly um, in that scenario. But I, and then something started to happen that I'd never experienced before there. When, whenever I've been there, I always tend to have some scriptures and just quietly pray them. And they're scriptures that relate to the Jewish people and, and God's plan and purpose for them. And just pray, you know, God's heart for them and, and, uh, and for their salvation. And... When I was standing there, I, I, I'd only been down there a minute, two minutes max, and, and I started sensing this. It was, it, was, it, was, it was a horrible feeling. It was this total sense of lostness, despair, hopelessness. And I was standing there looking around at all these people, and a part of me with this kind of what was going on, there was this like, what is the point of me praying? This is an absolute waste of time. This is hopeless. This is, you know, and, and 
I just felt this absolute lostness. And I, and I was standing there and I said to the Lord, I said, God, what's going on? What, why am I, this is horrible. I don't even want to be here. I just want to get out. of This is horrible. What's going on? And uh, in that moment, I just felt God say to me, Clive, what, what I'm showing you is how, one, how I see these guys, where they're at in relation to me, the lostness and the hopelessness in the natural but also what I'm showing you is, is my heart for them. To this, that I am the only answer. That I am. And I said, God, it needs a miracle. And, and that's obvious on one level. But it was like God said, I, I want you to continue to pray and intercede for their salvation. Now we know from the, from the word that um, when we read what a lot of the Old Testament talks about and and promises over the Jewish people and the restoration of the Jewish homeland, Israel as it is now, whatever, that God, the Bible says that he's going to bring them back and reveal himself to them in the land. And so we know they're not all going to get saved like this week, uh, but we still got to pray. But it was this sense of lostness and it's like, God, these guys need you. And, and then um, just in terms of then how I prayed for them. It was different than how I prayed before. And I believe that God wants to, in relation to, to people that are friends of ours, neighbours, work colleagues, family, whoever they are, it might be one or two people initially. It could be a family, a household. It could be a number of people. But he wants to give us a burden. Like the parable where the shepherd had lost one out of a hundred and he was like, I've got to do something. I've got to go now. This is so important. I've got to go now. I can't, I can't wait. I've got to go and find him because he's lost. And, uh, and when he comes back, there's obviously great rejoicing that goes on. And uh, so I believe God wants to just give us a burden in the right way. And, and something might start happening tonight. But over the next few days, maybe just ask the Lord, God, would you give me a, your heart and your burden, what, what you feel, what you, goes on in your heart for the people my, whoever is a family member or my friend or my work colleague, my neighbour, whoever it might be, God, I want to live with that burden so that like the shepherd who went to look for the sheep, it's not just, well, maybe when I get round to it or maybe when I do this, that or the other, but actually, God, this becomes something that we're praying into and becomes a God-given burden, not a heavy thing, but something that then is like a, a motivation to pray, if I can put it that way, and also then to reach out to those that, to the people that we're reaching out to. And so we're going to pray in a moment. But one of the things that um, I just want us to, a little practical thing to take away tonight is um, uh, I've got a few mustard seeds with me, okay? And <clears throat> when Jane and I were in Jerusalem the other week, uh, one of the things we were at, the, the guy Angus Buchan, do you know him? The South African guy, the potato farmer guy, heard of him? Who's, maybe some of you have, some of you haven't. There's a guy quite a few years ago now um, saw, he was a farmer over there and there was a drought, they were desperate and, and loads of people just were going bankrupt and all sorts of things. And he cried out to the Lord and God, God spoke to him about planting potatoes and he's like, yeah, but there's no rain, there's nothing, how can it grow? And he, he planted all these potatoes and he just carried on thanking and praying like he would as, he, as if he was farming them. And then when it came to harvest time, he had an abundant harvest. These things were huge. It was like a miracle harvest. And, 
that kind of released him into all sorts of things. And so he travels around the world and he does loads of bloke stuff. And he's, anyway, he was, he was in this food line with us and he, he turned around and said, hi, we started chatting. And while we were chatting, he said, can I pray for you two? We're like, yeah, all right. So he started to pray and he said, I, I always carry these little bottles of mustard seeds with me, these little things and little bottles about that size. And he said, sometimes God says to me, give them to somebody and pray for them. And he said, I just believe I should give you one each and pray for you. And he said, I think, believe God wants to multiply what you're doing and accelerate what you're doing and this and that and the other. So I want you to take these things. And, and I, I kind of looked up mustard seed and, and one little mustard seed reproduces itself between eight and 20 times. You know, it, one doesn't just reproduce one, it produces at least eight, maximum 20-ish, something like that. And in terms of our response tonight, it'd be good for us just to pray and say, Father, I, I thank you for the people that, that I'm reaching out to that you put on my heart. Father, I thank you for a burden and, and I want to live with this, like, with this sense of they're lost. Um, we know they're lost up here in that sense. We know they are. But it's like, I believe God wants to do something in our hearts so that like Jesus, when we're with these people, there's something of his compassion, of his love, where, where we, we, we just want to sit with them. We want to embrace them. We want to, we don't, we're not kind of, oh, you know, how they, you know, and all of this. But actually, we, we, they know. And, and their response is, I want to be around you. I want to be with you. I feel safe. All the stuff that we, we looked at. But then with the mustard seeds, what, what I encourage you to do, just take maybe two seeds, two, three, four seeds. Um, I've got enough for that because there's not loads of us here. So, um, and maybe get a pot at home and put them about, I'm Mr. Greenfingers here, um, about a, a nail's length depth, put them in there together, put a bit of soil on and water it over the next couple of weeks, they start to grow. But let the mustard seeds be like the people that you're praying for. And let them be like a little prophetic kind of thing that these people, I'm praying for them and I'm expecting them to be fruitful. I'm expecting them to grow. I'm expecting there to be a release of God's life. But it's, it's more because God wants to multiply his life in you into others. So you might be praying for one or two, but God wants that to become seven and eight. And that seven and eight becomes 15 and 20 as we go forward. Is that okay? So if, if you'd like to stand, we're just going to pray for a, a, a few minutes. And um, Revelation 5, 9, this is Jesus. You were slain, as in he was slain, and by your blood you purchased for God men of every tribe and language from all people groups and every nation. The currency that Jesus used was his blood, and it was through the cross. God doesn't have all that he has paid the price for, but he wants people back. So maybe just for a moment, just remind yourself what he's done for you. His amazing forgiveness, the life that he's given you, how good he is in our lives, how amazing he is. Just thank him for the richness of his life that we have. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life in all its fullness, in its abundance. His life is abundant life. 
And he wants that life to flow like a river into other people's lives. So as we just stand here for a minute, maybe just ask the Lord, Jesus, I thank you for your love, firstly, for those I'm reaching out to. And you, you'll know who they are in your, your life. Father, I, I ask you to give me a burden for them. We can see Jesus had a burden in the example because the Pharisees described what they saw. This guy shows hospitality. He sits down with these guys and he embraces them. That's what a burden looks like being outworked. So Father, we ask you, is for a burden for those people around our lives that don't know you. Your heart for them and the burden that you have going on in the inside of your heart for them. The same way the shepherd just had to go to find that, that lost one as if it was dead to bring it back to life. We thank you, Jesus, for your compassion, your love and your heart for our family members, friends, neighbours. Just wherever you are, just ask the Lord to, to do that now. Father, over these next few days, thank you, give me a burden as I go into work, as, I, as I'm spending time with people that don't know you. I thank you that I'm going to look at them and see them in a different way. Thank you, you're going to move in my heart in a different way, that I won't be able to just walk past them or just ignore it or want to keep away from people. But that's the opposite. I'd be drawn to people. I'd be aware of their lostness. I'd be aware of the hopelessness that they're in in the natural knowing that you are the only answer. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your heart, Father. And Father, I just thank you as we take these mustard seeds as a, as a kind of little bit of a prophetic action, just a little thing on one level where we take these seeds and we put them in a pot and we put a bit of soil on them and water them as if to say, Father... It's like uh, I'm going to see these seeds become fruitful and grow in the same way as I'm reaching out and sowing seeds into these people's lives around me. Those seeds are going to begin to grow and produce life and people are going to come alive. They're going to be like the one that was lost is going to be found, going to come back. <clears throat> and then there's great rejoicing in heaven over the one person that repents and comes to you than over 99 that don't need to repent. So, Father, we thank you. We praise your name. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. Maybe the people that you're reaching out to right now, just for a moment, just bring them before the Lord. Name them before the Lord, whoever they are. could be a family member, your parents or your kids or I don't know whoever it is, neighbor, friend, best mate you've known for years and they haven't come to the Lord yet. Whoever it is. Just lift them. Maybe, Father, I just lift so-and-so before you now. I thank you for your heart for them.
I thank you that you give me your heart for them. I thank you that you show me how I need to be, to embrace, to show hospitality, to sit with them, to be in their life so they feel safe. They're intrigued. They want to know more. They want to be around me because of the life, your life in me flowing with mercy, with compassion, with grace, with kindness, with gentleness, with goodness, in whatever way it needs to come into others. We thank you, Jesus. We praise your mighty name. Praise your mighty name. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources from Kingdom Faith and our other audio and video podcasts, please visit www.kingdomfaith.com. 